So, um, with Zach taking us last week, we're going to pick up in Acts 17, and there's some key words that I want you guys to be on the lookout for tonight. Think of this as like a taste test, a little appetizer Woo! to the main force of the world. Okay, our first word is passion. What are you passionate about? Another way to think about this is what do you talk about? Number two, enthusiasm. Is your passion able to be caught by others? Then, and number three, nobility. Is your passion pleasing to God? Or is it self-seeking? And so it is now with great honor that I get to invite my friend and co-company leader, Lauren Conswell.
and witnessing the priceless reactions on her face and touching the enthusiasm that you are so in fact passionate about. In fact, in part of tonight's message that I'll be speaking about, I'll be referencing one of these movie series. And so in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to reveal that. But you'll have to wait for it. So if you haven't caught the drift tonight, I'm going to be talking about passion. Okay? Not just any passion, but we're going to talk about holy versus unholy passion. Cool? Now, before we dig into it, we're going to go ahead and we're going to continue with our Acts series. And we're going to be in Acts 17. More specifically, I'm going to be reading out of verses 10 through 15. And I'll go ahead and read that for us real quick. And it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll begin. So Jesus, we just love you. We thank you um, for your word. We thank you that you speak still today, Jesus, and I even pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight, God, that our, our minds would be clear, our hearts would be open and yielded and vulnerable to your presence and your spirit. So Jesus, would you bless tonight, would you speak through me, and as well as Shay. We love you, God. It's all in your name. Amen. 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 All right, let's get started. So, um, before we kind of dig into some gut-punching little com like commentaries or little contents, I think it would actually be important to talk about um, who the Bereans are, because they are mentioned a couple of times in Scripture. So, um, who are the Bereans is the big question right now. Well, the first thing I found is that, lo and behold, the Bereans, they live in Berea, right? Wow. How about that? Wow. Now, Berea was within Macedonia, which was within the Roman Empire at the time, okay? The second thing I found is that most of the Bereans were Jews, some of them were Greek, but the ones that were most referenced, especially right now, are Jews. So we're going to keep that in mind. And lastly, this is my favorite thing that I found, is that um, Paul and Silas can preach the gospel to the Bereans during Paul's second, second missionary journey. And I find that so interesting because it's not his very first and it's not his very last, and it's not right in the middle. It's just beginning on the journey of his missionary life. Okay? Um, and towards the end of this message, I'll be sharing um, a couple of key important characteristics of the Bereans, and so we're going to have to keep a lookout for those at the end. Cool? Cool. All right. Cool. Keep doing this. All right. So remember how I said earlier I was going to reference a movie series? Yeah. Well, yeah. here we are. So. Um, how, did, how many of you guys have known about Star Wars? Any part of your life? Have any of you guys watched the movies? Let's type it up. All the hands. Me too. I'm obsessed, right? Alright, so just for some fun, I have a few memes for us that I want us to kind of giggle at. I love memes. Alright, first one. I want my own spinoff. Your own spinoff, Anakin, the entire saga is your spinoff. Second one, up high, down low. Too slow. Oh no! Next one, Anakin says, Padme. 
fourth, selflessness. And the fifth is to be fully surrendered. Lack of judgment, selflessness, and to be fully surrendered. Now, all of these characteristics that I just listed, they're actually shown through the character of the Bereans that we just read in 10 through 15. Now, just a few more things that I found out about the Bereans in scripture. I researched through some more um, versions of the, or like more um, translations of the Bible, and I found a few things. So it says that the Bereans were also fair-minded, and they received teaching with readiness. It also says they were noble, and they received the word of God with eagerness. And it says they were also open by God. Remember how before I mentioned the last definition of passion, it was um, how it's known as the final period of Jesus' life, aka crucifixion. Yeah. Yeah. I just have a few verses that's going to talk about the passion of Jesus, and we'll move on to the next part. And I'll read them for us. And the first one is Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And as to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The second verse I have is Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Amen. And the last one I have is 1 Peter chapter 2, 23-25. I'm going to read 25, but up there it's on 24. It says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. 25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, that have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So good. So just a couple last points for us about holy passion. And the first is that holy passion requires surrender and relinquishment of ourselves. Yeah. Holy passion requires surrender and relinquishment of ourselves. And the perfect example of this is Jesus himself on the cross, surrendering his all until his very last breath. And even with his last breath, that was relinquishing all that he endured and suffered for each of us. Next, let's take a look at what unholy passion is. So, what is unholy passion? You could easily assume it's the direct opposite of holy passion, but rather than just assuming such things, there's something so much more to be revealed. So, we already know the definition of passion, so let's define unholy. So, what is unholy mean? Simply, it means simple or wicked. It also means showing disregard for what is holy. I'll repeat it again. Unholy means simple or wicked. It also means showing disregard for what is holy. And let's, remember, let's try to remember that second definition because it's going to come back up again pretty soon. So, since we know both of these words have definitions now, we know what they are. Unholy passion is an intense desire or action that is set apart from God and is used for the world. Mm. Unholy passion is an intense desire or action that is set apart from God and is used for the world. Yeah. Just like how we learned about the characteristics of holy passion, we're going to do the same for unholy passion. The first thing is, uh, the first characteristic of unholy passion is giving into things that are carnal. 
meaning giving into the passions of the flesh. The second thing is pride or being prideful. And the third is simply just being selfish. Yeah. Giving into things that are carnal, having pride or being prideful, being selfish. Now, we're going to go ahead and we're going to backtrack just a little bit in chapter 17 of Acts. And we're going to look through verses 1 through 9. So, therefore, 
Gregorians were noble because of their willingness and the reception of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. The Bereans were noble because of their willing reception of the gospel. Unlike the Thessalonian Jews, the Bereans were eager to hear the teachings of Paul and Silas. We could even say that the Bereans had open hearts and clear heads to receive truth. The Bereans had open hearts and clear heads to receive truth. The second characteristic that we're going to go through quickly is that they examined scripture. The Bereans, they examined the teachings of Paul by studying scripture. Not only were they just listening to the teachings, but they also conducted their own personal research by studying scripture, which led many other Bereans to Christ. You can find that in verse 12. The Bereans also were curious, and they compared Paul's teachings to scripture to see if what he was saying was the absolute truth. They were comparing what he was saying to scripture. And they found truth. Yeah. And this just wasn't any casual research. It says that they searched daily. Okay? Yeah. Their searchings and studies weren't just like just like a one-time glance or a quick look over. They weren't trying to find something wrong with what Paul was teaching yeah. or what was wrong within scripture. Yeah. They were comparing it to seek out truth. Yeah. They saw that it was worth their time yeah. and their hard work to see what was true with due diligence. And not only did they search daily, but they also found. The word of God wasn't casual to them. They're Jews. They know scripture. They're living by the law. The Old Testament. They know it. But truth was there to be found, and it was revealed. That's exactly what it was. Paul was speaking the gospel of Jesus. And they found it. In their own word. They did. Truth was revealed. So it's safe to say that the Bereans had a holy passion for the gospel because they had an active devotional life. The Bereans had a holy passion because they had an active devotional life. Now, on the other hand, the Thessalonians were quite the opposite. We see that the Thessalonians were presented the gospel in the exact same way as the Bereans. Paul and Silas went to the synagogues more than once. But instead, the Thessalonians reacted out of closed minds and hard judgments. They were simply dismissive of what was holy. Remember, being dismissive of what was holy is a definition of unholy. The Thessalonians were simply dismissive of what was holy. So, in summary, we can say that it only takes a passionate few after God's own heart to advance the gospel. It only takes a passionate few after God's own heart to advance the gospel. Now, before I invite my friend Shay to come back up, um, I just want to share a brief life story of a woman who is actually very near and dear to my heart. Um, she's not related to me, which is okay, but her name is Corey Tenbu. She is my favorite um, author. She is somebody that I have shared life with, with reading her books. She is somebody who has helped me with my walk with Jesus. There's a couple of pictures of her when she's younger and a little bit older. Um, she's the best friend you could ever have by reading her stories and hearing her wisdoms. And so currently, I'm reading one of her books called In My Father's House. Um, and in this book, it talks about her life and her childhood in the Netherlands before the plot and the story of the hiding place. Um, 
Now, a common theme throughout her books is her passion for Jesus. But not just any passion, but a holy passion. As many of you know, Corey, along with a few of her other family members, were imprisoned and held in concentration camps during World War II due to hiding Jews in their home from the Nazis. Through her story, while in the concentration camp, we read and we see that her faith was challenged in many ways, but we also see that she was able to preach the gospel to many women and amongst many nations, if anything. We see her nearness to God and her devotion to God through the Bible. In fact, she was able to seek in the Bible into the concentration camp. That's how much she needed it and how much she loved it. And that's how she was able to share the truth of Jesus with these women. In the book I'm currently reading, she talks about how her family would read a chapter of the Bible every night after dinner. And over the years, each of the ten rooms in the family cultivated a love for the Word of God, and through that, each of their individual relationships with Christ grew. Corey's passion for Christ was cultivated in her childhood home every night after dinner by hearing and pondering and searching and finding truth. You could even say that she had a devotional life. Even her family probably had a devotional life, right? Her passion for Christ was made holy when she shared the gospel on the footstool of death during the war. Corey's holy passion was much like the Greens. Now, I'm going to invite my friend Shay to come on up as she will continue to finish our message for me. learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So what do you do when your holy passion is questioned? What do you do when it's needed? Paul is having to face this question practically everywhere that he goes. So how can you maintain a holy passion with something that you could call holy enthusiasm? It's very easy to protect your dreams when we're in a room like this, when everyone has the same mind. We're on the same page. We can back each other up when people start to question our beliefs. But what happens when the room suddenly shrinks and you go to class and you're the only Christian in there? You're the only one who has a relationship with Jesus. What happens when you graduate and you go into the workforce and no one there loves Jesus? Or you go overseas and you're a missionary where no one else is. How do you maintain your holy passion when you are one of the passionate few? Okay, so there's this really cool story, and it was written a couple years ago, it's a little bit older, okay, but it tells of two kings 
and they're fighting each other. They want the throne. They are like bickering. The one ends up murdering one of them. It's pretty intense, okay? So there's these kings, they're fighting for the throne, and then there's this prince, and he's in this whole debacle because he also needs the throne, but the uncle is like, alright, give it back to me, and it's just complicated, okay? The prince has to go on a journey, both physically and personally, and um, he has this love interest, and so suddenly you're reading this like investigation storyline, and then it turns into a romance, because it's a love story, but then it suddenly turns tragic, because the girl dies. I know, we're reading of tragedy and death now. And so it's it's a really cool story. It tells of, it has powerful speeches that can hype anyone up. It has wonderful fight scenes. It's, it's awesome, it's comedic, it's tragic. Does that sound like a story any of you would like to read? Or, or watch, there's a movie. Okay, does anyone have any guesses on what that story is? It is not tragic. Short the line you're actually kind of close. Hamlet. Yes. Okay, so you guys were excited, but what when I what happens when I tell you that it's Shakespeare's Hamlet? You don't really want to read it anymore, do you? So the movie is Yeah, it's not my movie. It's not necessarily a movie reference. It kind of is, but I can tell. Not as excited anymore, are we? So F. W. Borum. An author. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. He says it like this in reference to how Shakespeare has maintained his fame for this long. The splendor of Shakespeare's fame does not rest on the attitude of the populace. The average man, the man in the street, cares little or nothing of Shakespeare in school. The ordeal has left no pleasant memories, and as a result, the very name of Shakespeare now fills him with a sense of tedium and boredom. It is not by the unthinking multitude that the luster of Shakespeare's name is maintained. Everything depends on the passionate few. So from the Bible, who are some people that we can group in as the passionate few? David. David. Paul. Paul. Jesus. <laughs> Good answers. All of these are great answers. So very quickly we can think of the 12 disciples who literally gave up their lives and everything that they had for the glory of the gospel. We can think of people like Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament who literally led a whole group, like a whole nation, to the promised land. And they were complaining a lot. And so that a takes lot. a lot of enthusiasm and passion to do that. We can think of King David, whose moniker is literally a man after God's own heart. Tonight, though, we are going to stand before the fiery furnace with three men who stuck to their convictions, even when it was hated vigorously by everyone around him. And so if you haven't met them yet, I would love to introduce you to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Woo! So these three, alongside Daniel, the prophet in the Old Testament, they were brought from their families to Babylon. They were taken away, they were about 15 to 20 years old. Um, Daniel eventually gets promoted and convinces the king, Nebuchadnezzar, to also promote Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After a little bit, King Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of starts to realize that he likes when people applaud him. And so he had a little brainstorming session one day and thought, you know, I need to remind them, how, what's the best way that I can remind people to applaud and worship me? So he built a 90-foot golden statue of himself. Very convenient. Any time that music played, everyone in the city had to bow down and worship the statue. So now, this is what it would be like, okay? 
the prison alarms blaring as often as they do, echoing throughout our small town. We all turn towards I-45. <laughs> And we bow down before General Santucci. <laughs> he stands almost as tall as Nebuchadnezzar on his proud granite slab. That's what it would be like. That's what it was like for the people. And now, Shadow Bush had to go. They weren't really cool with that. They didn't want to do that, so they didn't. Some of the citizens of Babylon, however, didn't really like that some outsiders had risen to leadership. They were even bitter about it. They did not have the same convictions. So one of the things that we could say is that a cold heart stained with bitterness often leads to eyes that search for destruction. A cold heart stained with bitterness leads to eyes that search for destruction. We see that in the Pharisees. That's their whole thing with Jesus, right? These citizens wanted to pin whatever they could on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the music begins to play and the city in unison bows, all except for those three. There, they had them. They caught them red-handed with fiendish delight. These, the citizens wasted no time in turning the three men over to the king. Is it true, Nebuchadnezzar shouts in Daniel 3, verses 14 through 15, that you do not worship my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Would you like to burn in a furnace? That's raised seven times the normal temperature. Or would you like to bow down and worship of another God? How do you maintain holy passion with nobility? Another ODG friend of ours, his name is Lewis Albert Banks. He provides some insight to that question and he says it like this. Right there is where so many fail. They mean to do what is right and they take time to consider. They play with the tempter and they picture to themselves how nice it would be for just this one time to yield to temptation. Until the first thing they know, the solid backbone of their purpose is broken down and their faces are in the dust. Amen. Now with eyes locked on these kings, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not hesitate in their answer. Just as quickly as everyone in here would respond with two plus two equals four. They, they respond in Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known unto thee that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, this is a pretty powerful response. This isn't something that just came to them one morning. Remember, these are 15 to 20-year-olds. That's us sitting in here. And they're standing before the king with their life on the line. That's not like a impulse answer. The reason that they could respond like this is because they knew their God. Yeah. And they knew his heart and what he was capable of. But they also knew that if he died, or if they died, they still wouldn't be caught worshiping anything other than their God. Yeah. 
okay? How do we get a heart like theirs? It's simple. We search for God, we spend time with Him, we fall in love. Banks goes on to say, we need a heartfelt religion, hearts glowing and aflame with a love to God that will count any sacrifice life that advances his cause. People whose hearts are cold always look upon young men like these three Jews who face Nebuchadnezzar and gladly risk their lives rather than soil their consciences. They look at them as fanatics and enthusiasts. God give us more enthusiasts. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sought out God, just like the noble Bereans that Lauren mentioned did. You know another way we could say this? Did he have a devotional life? So in Kayahu, one of the things that we say is that readers are leaders. Now hear me, this is not a get into position of leadership quick scheme, okay? We can have a long list of books that we've read and that means absolutely nothing if we don't know God's heart more fully at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. The natural overflow of seeking God and falling in love with Scripture is the making of a leader. Yeah. Leaders should be marked by passion, enthusiasm, and nobility. So have you ever tried to ask Faith Samuel or Zach Campbell what they're reading? Those two are some of the most passionate readers I have ever met. And they love God because of how much they read and how much they find from his, in scripture in books. They actually changed my walk with God just because they're in love with reading. Have you ever asked Mikey, Daisy, or Roxana about their dreams for campus, their visions? All of those are birthed from scripture. You're going to want to take part of them if you talk to them about them. So be careful. You're going to fall in love with their ideas simply because they love God and they have devotional lives. Whenever your passion is confronted, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how will you stand your ground? For then they knew the word of God, of who God was. They searched out scripture, they sought out the word, and had a fruitful devotional life. When you're talking about what you know and what you love, it's easy to stand your ground. You know how to defend it because you know it. It's easier to stand your ground when you have a city marked by nobility standing behind you as we have seen with Paul. So how can a whole city be marked by enthusiasm? That's kind of a big ask. Hugh Black, another author, gives us an answer. He says, to know the love of God does not mean the impoverishing of our lives by robbing them of their other sweet relations. Rather, it means the enriching of these by revealing their true beauty and purpose. Sometimes we are brought near to God through our friends, if not through the influence or the joy of their love than through the discipline which comes from their very limitations and from their loss. 415, you guys can come back up. Now, there's probably a couple groups of us in here tonight. If you don't feel like you're particularly passionate about searching scripture or following God's heart, that's okay. Something inside of you can actually ignite from someone next to you being excited. Even if it's just two of your closest friends and yourself, what if you talk more of God's word? And I don't mean studying Aramaic or Latin or Greek or whatever random language. I mean to dream with God. You can ask him silly questions. Have you asked him where dinosaurs fit into the Bible? Have you ever tried like looking up where in scripture it talks about heaven and trying to dream of the sunsets that could happen there? You can dream with God. 
Maybe you're in here tonight and you haven't quite given your life to Jesus yet. Or maybe you would call yourself a new believer. And perhaps a lot of this is daunting. You might be living with the excuse, I'm not qualified. I've got great news. Lots of people who love Shakespeare are not the world's greatest or smartest thinkers. Lots of scholars would say that Shakespeare isn't actually that great. And that there's far better work out there. The only reason Shakespeare survived this time is because people just won't shut up about him. That's the only reason. And so look at Shakespeare and imagine where you could take the gospel just by talking about it. As though you're in love with it. Maybe you're here tonight and you're about to take on the mantle of discipling people. Or you even just want to start working towards that. You're similar to our friends Timothy and Silas. They started off as bystanders and then they saw what Paul had and they're like, ooh. I want to partner with that. Yeah. Paul's passion began to sweep Timothy and Silas. They wanted to contribute. They saw something worth pursuing. Yes. And what they learned, they talked about. In other words, they're responsible for the knowledge that they know. Yes. Right. What they had been taught, they talked excitedly about. And they wouldn't have been with Paul if they didn't care. Do people want to join you in your enthusiasm? And so let's take a look at Paul. There's nothing better than to stay in a room when people have the same ideas as you do. You get to dive deep and not have to worry because everyone's on the same page as you. Paul was there. The Marines were there with him. They were all on the same page. But Paul was not content to stay in one spot for very long. He knew that other places needed to hear the gospel. And so he went to fun places, he taught, and then he left the fun places. That's where his passion led him. It led him to the ends of the earth. So maybe there's another group in here, and you graduate in a couple of months. Maybe you're about to walk into a new season of life. And yeah, I'm kind of talking to the staff members in here too. What's interesting is that Paul actually left Timothy and Silas in Berea. He trusted those two to teach a whole city how to continue to walk with God. And Paul continued on. Are we able to trust the passionate few around us and let them share with others, just like the little tent maker that changed the world? So as we end, the worship team is going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to invite each of you to meet with the king of the universe. We're not going to linger here for too long, and I think you'll receive the answer quickly to your own personal state of fervor. Here's some questions that you can ask God if you're at a standstill. Do I have a holy passion and a fruitful devotional life? Do I talk about the things of heaven? Do I talk about Jesus as those who talk about Shakespeare, sports, movies, whatever you want to put in there? Sam Houston could look like Berea, a city marked by nobility, passion, and enthusiasm. The Bereans sought out the word of God and had fruitful devotional lives every day. Yeah. And so my challenge to you is that after we close, and as you're on your way to the new Thor movie or you're in Whataburger, talk about it. The Bereans talked about it. The Thessalonians didn't. That was the difference. They talked about a holy passion. Remember, all it takes is a passionate few after God's own heart to progress the gospel. And so are you a part of the few that can flow into the whole wide world? So I'm going to pray, and they're going to sing, and you guys are going to pray too. You stay up here, you stay in your seat, you do whatever. But let's meet with God. 
Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you for your death on the cross, Lord. Thank you that you laid it out so clear what passion looks like, Lord. And I pray that we would catch it tonight. Lord, I pray that you would begin to look at each one of us, Lord, and that you would fuel a fire that we didn't even know was there, Lord, or you would fuel it to where it just is so overwhelming. Lord, would you be with us? Would you meet with us? We love you.